Well, good morning, OCC family. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to one community church right after Thanksgiving and worship the Lord together. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. As you're turning there, I I do want in the spirit of Thanksgiving just give thanks to our pastor, Dr. Conway Edwards. I don't think you all truly, truly appreciate what's happening right now. Uh, I actually oversee a network of about 400 churches uh, that have been planted uh, from a church that I serve back east. And uh, I've been gathering with these pastors since the pandemic hit. And, um, and many of them, um, words like despair, discouragement, some of them, their churches has, have actually closed down. Um, I hope when you think of pastors, you, you, you pray for them. This has been a particularly heavy season for us all, but especially, especially for pastors. And yet, in the middle of all this, I mean, one community church in the middle of a pandemic and a plague, uh, you're building stuff, uh, you're expanding ministry. I mean, God's hand is on this house, and I should hope that there is a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving, and you're giving not so much man praise, but God praise, because God is worthy. Now, that was a nice, cute golf clap. But if we can just give God praise for what he's doing, amen, amen. I have a simple word I want to share with you. Uh, The deep stuff is next week. Pastor will be back. Uh, We're going to give just a simple, practical word that I believe is going to set someone free. I want to preach this morning from the subject, evicting worry evicting worry. John chapter 6, pick me up in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They weren't following him because they thought he was worthy. They were following him for the benefits package. Jesus, verse 3, went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes in and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I love it when Jesus asks questions. Verse 6, he said this, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, I'll take it. Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also uh, the fish as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets, 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed 
the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. If I had more time, I'd tell you that oftentimes what overwhelms us, Jesus walks on. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Father, we bless you. For what you're doing in and through our church. For every life saved. Every life rerouted and redirected. For the expansion of ministry. In the midst of a pandemic, we we give you praise. For our leaders, we thank you. Now, Father, would you speak to us today? I'm... I'm reminded these people do not need to hear the thoughts of a middle-aged man. They need to hear from an eternal God. So speak, Lord. May the seed of your word fall on good ground. May it take roots. May it produce fruit. Show us how to walk in it. Again, as my grandmama used to say, put, put shoe leather on your word. Make it plain and practical. So that end, I'm available to you. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Um, So I just flew in yesterday from Scottsdale, Arizona. My wife's people all live in Scottsdale, uh, Arizona. And uh, we did Thanksgiving with my in-laws. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Um, No drama. We had a no drama Thanksgiving. Jesus is real. And so we, we, we enjoyed ourselves yesterday morning, got on a flight, came here, um, you know. And, and every time I get on an airplane, I, I always have this thought um, that when I get on an airplane, it's, it's pretty sobering to think that at any given moment, there's thousands of planes flying to and fro in the sky. And then I land in places like Dallas, large urban centers like Dallas or Atlanta or Chicago or Los Angeles. I, I, I have to thought in these large urban centers, these thousands of planes are, are landing in these large urban centers every single day. And, and this happens every single day, almost without incident. It's, it's pretty miraculous to think that, that this happens on a daily basis. Well, then it causes me to wonder, how is it that all these planes are in the sky and all these planes land almost without incident? You know this. There are these towers filled with men and women known as air traffic controllers. And there is no such thing as a plane taking off or landing without the permission of an air traffic controller. Right now... I want you to view your thought life as thousands of planes flying back and forth across the sky that is your mind. 
Right now, you're thinking all kinds of thoughts. How long is this man going to preach? What's for lunch? Why ain't my pastor here? And what's going on with my cowboys? They done lost to the Raiders. You got all these thoughts right now. And you can't control what flies across the sky of your mind. But you can control what lands. I, I, I want you right now to view yourself as the air traffic controller of your thought life. Nothing lands unless you give it permission. Parenthesis. Parenthesis. That applies to most of us, but some of us are here and we're wrestling with mental health issues. And we're having a hard time taking control of our minds. That's why there's medication and there's therapists. Now, I want to encourage you, take your medicine, go see a therapist, get the help that you need. We, we pray against a spirit of suicide in this place right now in the name of Jesus. But for most of us in this room, if you're rehearsing a thought over and over again, that ain't the devil, that's you. The devil may have released the thought, you are the one who gave it permission to land. And this is important because this morning I want to talk about a section of our thoughts that we should never give permission to land that all of us from time to time do, and it's called worry and anxiety. Now, I want to help you. Again, the deep stuff is coming next week. This is just a little, little trite Sunday school lesson that I hope it just helps you. It's so plain and it's so practical. But today, right now, I'm talking about worry and anxiety. I am not talking about fear. There's a difference. Fear is our emotional response to an actual threat. Worry is our emotional response to a perceived threat. Fear is our response to what is happening. Fear, worry is our response to what might happen. You with me on this? Worry is what happens to some of us when we just sit down on an airplane and it ain't even moved yet, but we're worried about what might happen. Fear is what happens when we hit a pocket of turbulence. Just the other day, I was flying from San Francisco to Atlanta on Delta on my way back to our home in Raleigh on Delta. There's always a layover in Atlanta. In fact, when we go to heaven or hell, there will be a layover in Atlanta. I just want you to understand that. I want you to get that in your spirit, okay? And we hit a pocket of turbulence. It was violent. I thought I was going to see Jesus. My drink spilled all over me. Don't ask me what I was drinking. That's none of your business. But I want you to understand this. Worry and fear are siblings, but they're not the same. Right now, many of you right now are struggling with worry and anxiety. We get the least little ache or pain. We on Google. 
We done Googled what might have happened and we done diagnosed ourselves so that we sit down with the doctor and we telling the doctor what's wrong with us. Anybody ever been there? Some of you college students, worry and anxiety six to eight weeks from now, it is time to pay your tuition bill. And amen, thank you, Lord, that you're taking ownership over your tuition and not your mama and daddy. Praise the Lord for that. Some of you are going, man, I'm just wrestling with this bill and how am I going to pay it? And you're, maybe you're like my old college roommate. The registrar called him into the office and says, you got this bill. What kind of payment plan do you want to get on? He says, how about, uh, how about this payment plan? You get it when I get it, payment plan. But you're worried because you ain't got the resources. Or now you're going, well, maybe I can take out a, a student loan. But you figure out from other people that if you take out a student loan, ain't no such thing as you never paying that bad boy back. So then I'm, I'm going to take out this loan. But then you're going, now I'm going to get into all this debt. And I don't have the resources. And so you're worried about what might happen. Some of us, we feel that with our kids. We're, 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 we're helicopter parents micromanaging their life. Now, I'm old enough to remember, I grew up in the, in the 80s, and I don't know about y'all, but back in my day, over the summertime, we did our chores in the morning, and then we hopped on our bikes, and Mama had no idea where we were. She just said, be back when the street light came on. Now we don't let these little jokers go across the street. We're so worried about what might happen. And I want you to understand, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Worry, don't fix nothing. Worry ain't going to make you pregnant. It ain't going to make you unpregnant. Worry ain't going to make the child safe. It ain't going to make them be in harm. Worry is not going to do anything beneficial. In fact, worry has been proven to be harmful. And what happens when we worry? We control. And control is an illusion. We don't control anything. So how do I deal with this? We come now to our text and Here's Jesus, they're faced with this multitude, this crowd has been following him, not because he's a great preacher, not because they esteem him to be the Messiah, they've just seen him heal some folks, and so now this crowd is growing and growing and growing. Shoot, if you heal him, folks, let me, let me get my grandmom in them, and we can just come on together, and you can just kind of, you know, give them some of your healing power, and so this crowd is growing and growing and growing, and then all of a sudden word gets out that this crowd is hungry, and now the disciples are like, Jesus, what are we going to do? This crowd is huge. They are hungry. And we see worry among the disciples. Here it is. And this text teaches us by implication a recipe for worry. Worry tends to happen when my situations and circumstances are greater than my resources. When I'm in a situation that is greater than my bank account, that is greater than the letters behind my name, 
that is greater than my, my, my social network, that is greater than my resources. Now I am tempted to worry, and that bleeds into the next story. They're in a boat. They're in the middle of a storm. The, ship is cr- the, the storm is crashing in on them. They don't know what they're going to they, they can't control the storm. Worry happens. Well, my situations and circumstances are greater than my resources. And that's why I don't care what side of the tracks you grew up on. I don't care what the color of your skin. I don't care how much schooling you have. You keep inhaling and exhaling. You will find yourself in predicaments that you can't get out of. Look, I got a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old. Well, actually, a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, about to be 17-year-old. Anyways, they're about to all be out of my house. One of them's in Arizona figuring life out. The other's in L.A., second, uh, about to start his second semester in college. Uh, and the other's a junior in high school. And we were all together for Thanksgiving. And so Friday evening, I said, let's just huddle together. Let's just check in. I just want to hear what are you learning? What's, what's going on with you? And um, I, I had to say to them, I said, listen, listen, guys. I just, I just I'm, I'm so pleased with what I'm hearing. You, you guys are hashtag adulting. It is wonderful. But you're at a point in your life where your faith has to be real to you. Mama and daddy can't force you to come to church. Mama and daddy can't force you to make this thing real. And you're going to hit situations in your life that a therapist can't fix. You're going to need something greater than that is in you that'll help to pull you through it and it can't be mama and daddy's faith it's got to be your faith so here's jesus here's jesus and we come now to our text And they're saying, Jesus, this crowd is huge. In fact, if you look at the text, it actually says there's 5,000 men. Commentators tell us that the crowd is greater than just men. In fact, conservatively speaking, if, if each man was married and had two kids, which is a conservative estimate by Jewish ancient culture standards, there's at least 20,000 people there. They are overwhelmed, tempted to worry. Watch it. And they're overwhelmed not because they've done something wrong. They're with Jesus. That's a word for somebody. Some of you, you're overwhelmed right now. And here's what happens when we're overwhelmed. We start to do an internal audit in which we go, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? This text teaches us that you can be doing everything right and still find yourself in unfavorable circumstances. Why? We live in a fallen world. God's not mad at you. Somebody's word right now. I'm not judging you. Somebody's word right now. You are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Because I want to display my glory through this trial. So here's Jesus. They've got this crowd around him. They're overwhelmed. And somebody goes, hey, 20,000 people now. 
There's a boy here, verse 9, who has five barley loaves and two fish. What a dumb idea. 20,000 people. You don't even get communion off of that. Hey, Jesus, I, I, I don't know. There's a boy here, a couple pieces of fish, a couple loaves of bread. This person's not going to give a TED Talk on innovation. Jesus says, I know it's little, but I'll take it. It's a start. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? You do something. You do something. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm just going to wait. And God's going, I'm waiting on you, young lady. I'm waiting on you. Do something. Well, God, it's just so insignificant. Nothing is insignificant. Anything little when it gets put in his hands is enough. But you got to put something in his hands. Let's start there. Some of you are like, man, my, my marriage is messed up. And typically what happens, one spouse is honest. And the other spouse, typically men, we tend to minimize, oh, we don't need to go to no therapy. We don't need to go to no counseling. We don't need to start somewhere. Do something. Others of you, you're in financial difficulty. Sort of like my friend, man. I've, I, was, I was in Philadelphia, and I was in Philadelphia for years, and I was dating a girl while I was in Philadelphia, and I was in college at the time, and she lived in New York, and this buddy of mine, uh, he would go with me from time to time to New York, and I remember first time we go to New York, this buddy of mine, we're on the subway, and we're sitting there talking, and all of a sudden the subway stops, and he closes his eyes mid-conversation. Door closes, subway starts to go again, he opens his eyes, we continue the conversation, I'm like, that's weird. That happens a couple more times. Every time the subway would stop, he closes his eyes. Finally, after about the third time, I'm like, bro, what's going on? Every time the subway stops, you close your eyes. Mid-conversation, he goes, man, this is going to sound bad. My mama raised me to be a proper gentleman. If I was ever in a predicament where there was no more seats left and there were women standing, that meant I should give up my seat. So I just close my eyes, and I just act like I don't see it. And if I don't see it, I don't have to deal with it. Now, we might laugh at my buddy, but that's how some of y'all do problems. Somehow, this is going to make the credit card go away. (laughs) Do something. Begin with truth. Do something. My 20-year-old, God bless him, I told him not to get a credit card. What does he do? Answer it for me. He He gets a credit card. Was he responsible? He's 20. And he doesn't understand interest. That's how they make their money. So we're having a talk, and he goes, I just don't have the money to pay the whole thing off. That's fine. Pay something. He figured if I didn't have it to pay the whole thing off, I ain't going to give him nothing. We laugh, but that's what we do. Do something. Secondly, relinquish control. 
relinquish control. <laughs> I love it. 20,000 people out there, they're hungry. And notice what Jesus says. Hey, Philip, what do you think we should do? What? You're the expert. I mean, that's like me being on an airplane in the middle of a storm and the pilot comes out of the cockpit and takes a straw pole going, what do you think we should do? Girl, if you don't get your hind parts back in that cockpit, you're the expert. But watch it. The next verse says that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He just asked them this to test them. Watch it now. The Greek word for test, which is the original language of our text, it means to expose or to reveal what's really there. It was used of gold when it was first found. They would take it through the heat, through the refiner's fire. It would burn off all the dross so that the true nature of the thing was there. Jesus is saying we are in this predicament because we want to know what is really there, what is really in your heart, what is your... What is your faith really based on? Are you like the crowd that only follows me for the magic tricks? Or are you a person, a man, a woman of faith? Are you a ride or die that's going to be with me come hell or high water? What is there? I want you to hear me. There are certain things in your life that can never be discerned by sunny days. There are certain things in your life that can only be exposed by storms. If you really want to know what your foundation is resting on, go through some things. If you really want to know where you and Jesus stand, where are you when the water is crashing in on you? You've got to learn to relinquish control. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus says to the little boy, hey, hey, young man, I know when you left the house, you were saying to yourself, it's going to be a good lunch today. I know you were packing this food up and you've been thinking about this and salivating over this meal all day long, but I got greater plans for you. I need to perform a miracle for the crowd, but the only way I can perform the miracle is if you relinquish your lunch. Could it be the reason why you're not experiencing the breakthrough in your life you want to experience is because you haven't relinquished control? Whatever, let me tell you something about God. If you want to know what area of your life God is going to come after, it's whatever you're holding the tightest. There's a story in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah couldn't get pregnant for years. God promises a baby, long story short, they get pregnant, they have a baby, little son by the name of Isaac, child of laughter. They thought it was hilarious, she's 99 years old. God then shows up one day after they've had the baby and God says, man, you guys get parents of the year. I love the way you parent, the way you love on little Isaac. It's just so precious, the play dates, all the stuff that's going on. It's amazing. You guys are amazing. But, but I got a concern. My concern is I, I think you may love the gift more than you love the giver. So here's what I need you to do to Isaac, Genesis 22. I need you to sacrifice him to me. Because I want to know where's your heart. 
And that's some of you. Could it be you're going, hell, going through hell in your career or on your job because you've been holding that a little too tight? That my identity is in my career. My identity is in my job. And so, oh, really, God says so. I need to come after that. Why does he come after that? Because the Bible says God is a jealous God. What does that mean? Brian, just like you ain't sharing your wife with no other man, God says I ain't sharing you with nothing else in this world. Ain't no competition. Either I'm first or I ain't in it at all. So whatever is competing with me, I'm coming after Others of you, maybe he's going to come after your little status idol. You think you're something because of what you drive and where you live. Again, this is the wonderful part of Texas. I love Plano Legacy West. Amazing. Again, I tell you this all the time. My wife ain't never going to hear about that place. I'm going to come home this afternoon. I'm going to lie as long. How was your time? Oh, it was horrible. I stayed at the Best Western, never left the motel. She don't need to know about no Louis, no Gucci, none of that. <laughs> and yet some of you, you build your self-worth off of a brown purse. Ain't nothing wrong with a brown purse. My wife has one. One. Others of you, God's coming after your kids. You've made those kids out to be something they were never meant to be. They're your functional saviors. You hold on to them way too tight. You put too much pressure on them academically, too much pressure on them athletically. You are looking to them to give you what they were never designed to give you. So let me tell you how God blessed me. And he might do this with some of you. I was pushing my kid too hard, and God blessed me with a kid who just don't care. (laughs) That's how God gets us. I just don't care. I ain't going to turn in homework. I ain't going to do none of it. (laughs) What? Kids, that is not a word for you not to care. See, the problem is, when it comes with worry and anxiety, so many of us are fishing. What do I mean by that? You know, when, when we go fish, we throw it out there. I remember teaching my kids to fish. You know, you put the worm on the hook, you put the little bobber on the line for them, and you just kind of throw it out there. And when they're little, it'll sit there for like 30 seconds, and then they're going to reel it back in. And then they'll throw it back out and reel it back in and throw it back. That's how so many of us do with worry. God, I'm going to give it to you. You ain't done nothing yet, so I'm going to reel it back in. God, I'm going to give you this career stuff. It's been a day. I'm going to reel it back in. God, I'm going to give you this relationship that's been causing me to stay up all night, and I've been fasting. It's been three days. I'm going to reel it back in. 
The Bible doesn't call us to fish, it calls us to cast. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the idea of a message in a bottle. Back in the day when a person was in distress and they wanted help, they put a message, they put it in the bottle, and they threw it out to sea, never to see it again. That's how we're to handle worry. God, I'm going to throw this on you. It's your issue. It's your child, it's your career, it's your finances, you take care of it. What do I do when I'm struggling with work? Do something. Secondly, relinquish control, but thirdly, and I know this sounds weird, remember your basket. What do you mean? This, this story messes me up. Jesus takes the few loaves of bread, a few pieces of fish, 20,000 people, multiplies it, miracle happens, and there was so much. The Bible says that there was leftovers. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. You thought you had a lot of leftovers after Thursday? Leftovers. Now this trips me out because the God I serve is not a God of lack, nor is he a God of waste. So what's up with 12 baskets of leftovers don't miss this according to the culture of the times those who served would not eat until everyone else ate who's serving the disciples how many of them are there 12 there's 12 baskets what do the baskets represent they represent God's providential, victorious uh, provision in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. They each had a basket which symbolized God came through. Now watch this. At the end of that story, what happens? They hop in a boat. They go to sea. A storm hits. They are freaking out, freaking out. And you want to go, why are you freaking out? Where's your basket? Because if you saw the basket, what you would think is, hey, we were just in a jam. And the basket means he got us out of that jam. And if he got us out of that jam, he can get us out of this jam. But our problem is we're like the disciples. We have convenient amnesia. We forget the goodness of God. We forget that he got us out of a mess. We forget that we're here today by his grace and mercy. All that we've been through since COVID, March of 2020, we're still here. We're still standing. And yet we are freaking out. Where's your basket? Don't you know who you're talking to? See, that's why when Jesus performs the miracle and he feeds the 5,000, I'm dead, the 20,000, I'm done. He feeds the 20,000. Notice how the crowd responds. They practically worship him. They go, oh my gosh, we had him wrong. He's not just a healer. He's a prophet of God. And they rush to make him king. Why? Because this is a primarily Jewish audience that has just been fed bread over a little bit. So they're thinking about their forefathers and their foremothers in the wilderness going from Egypt 
to the promised land. How did they eat every single day, six days a week? They woke up and there's this thing called manna, God's providential care. So they're connecting the manna to the miracle of bread and they understand Jesus doesn't just just give bread. He is the bread of life. (laughs) Friends, don't you understand who Jesus is? He's not just your buddy. He's not just your friend, but here's a guy who said, let there be light out of nothing, and there was light. Here's a guy who opened up the Red Sea, and his people just didn't walk through, but they walked through on dry ground. Here's a God that took down the walls of Jericho. Here's a Jesus that shut the mouths of lions and rescued Daniel in the lion's den. Here's a guy who overcame death and was resurrected the third day. And you're wondering, can he pay my bills? Your trial is never about your trial. God is up to something far more than just your deliverance. He is up to his glory. So the way that I handle my trial, it's to be in such a way that people look at me and they glorify God. Oh, friend, don't worry. Do what you can. Relinquish control. Remember your basket. And watch God work. So, Father, I bless you in this place. Someone's here today, and this is a right now word for them. They don't have to store it away. They don't have to put it on layaway. This is right where they're at. Jesus, if you can feed the multitudes, you can handle our situation. If you can walk on water, you can walk on anything that's overwhelming us. Jesus, we trust you. Give us strength. See us through. We'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor. In all the glory, in Jesus' name.